All right, well, we live in an anxious time. If you just watch that video, the pace of life, a lot of us feel like uh, that time-lapse video of we're just always going, always distracted, our schedules, our work, our commute in Phoenix, amen, uh, our, our lives are filled with anxiety, and, and it's filled with lots of big things like finances and security and, and family and relationships or, or lack of relationships uh, and even health, uh, and it's filled with a lot of things like that, but it's also filled with, with little things, like just daily things, like um, getting into a, a glass elevator, make anybody anxious, right? If it didn't before, you are anxious now, right? As you see that, uh, like things like going to one of those aquariums that has the shark tank above you. Ever been to one of those? Makes me think of Jaws every time, right? Uh, The next one that we get anxious about, all of us can relate to this one, amen? Uh, You open up your computer expecting to just start your day with joy, but you start your day with evil, and that evil is your inbox count, right? And you kind of are tempted just to accidentally hit the delete button on all that because you don't even know where to start, right? And so we get anxious about big things. We get anxious about little things. But the reality is we all get anxious. We all come today with some worry, some anxiety about something in our life. And and if maybe you're thinking, well, I'm a pretty happy guy. Well, Well, great. It's coming for you around the corner, Right? And so we need to know how do we handle our anxiety? How do we handle worry? How do we handle the big things and the little things of life? Because newsflash, we don't handle it well in our culture. We don't know how to cope. We don't know how to deal. And so by God's grace, Jesus is going to step into our anxiety And he's going to, in his grace and his truth, he's going to help us not just navigate around anxiety, not just get some cute strategies like, after you're anxious, watch a puppy video. I read that. Somebody suggested that. And I did, and it helped a little bit, but that doesn't last, right? So Jesus is going to give us something better than some cute strategies, or to navigate around anxiety, he's going to give us the possibility to heal anxiety in our hearts. And so that's where we're going this morning. And I'm going to give you a couple points to write down in a second of where we are going specifically. But, but before we get there, I just want to tell you, here's where we're not going. Uh, we're not this morning going to pile on. I know a lot of you legitimately struggle with anxiety. It's bigger things than just seeing a glass elevator or, or standing under a shark tank. It's bigger than that for you. There's other variables emotionally, psychologically in your life that make you anxious. And I get that. And the goal this morning, listen, is not to peel back the Band-Aid. It's to bring healing. Right? And, and so I get that there's a lot of things going on with anxiety in this room. Uh, I don't think we'll cover it all today, but the goal is not to to pile on. The second thing you need to know off the top is that we're not going to have any quick fixes this morning. We won't get to everything. I can go and tell you that right now. This won't be a quick fix. I'm not going to ask you to, hey, raise your hand if you struggle with anxiety. Okay, stop it. Let's pray and go home. All right, we're not going to do that. Jesus doesn't do that. And then the third thing I would tell you off the top is I've been there several years ago, early on in our marriage, woke up one night, middle of the night, cold sweat, the room was spinning, freaked me out, I was seeing spots, almost passed out, we had to do the whole ER ambulance thing, 
and get everything checked out. And after several visits and going through things, uh, the doctors and just otherwise counsel in my life were just like, hey, tell me a little bit about your rhythms in life and your schedule in life and how you're doing in life. And we figured out, you're stressed, you're anxious. And so I've been there. And listen, I'd love to tell you that was a one-time thing, and I've never been anxious again because I became a pastor or something, some magic potion or secret sauce. But I can't tell you that. I've been there. And so if you're there this morning, there's other people that have been there that are there this morning, and Jesus wants to speak truth to all of us in his grace. And so that's what we're going to dive into this morning. Here are the three points of where we are Going. We're going to talk about the reality of anxiety, the root of anxiety, and then we're going to see how we can replace anxiety. So reality, root, and replacing anxiety. First point is the reality of anxiety. If you haven't been with us, we've been in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, if you've never studied that before, Jesus is on the side of a mountain. He is preaching this brilliant, extensive teaching on all things about the kingdom of God. He's describing what the kingdom of God looks like versus our world and our own kingdom. And he speaks into a lot of issues. He talks about lust. He talks about money. Uh, Nothing goes without uh, being spoken into by the truth of Jesus. So by God's grace, it's the same with anxiety as we come to Matthew chapter 6. We read it just a minute ago, but we start in verse 25. It starts off with, therefore... Anytime you see that word, therefore, you want to ask, what's the therefore? Therefore, there you go. Uh, And really what that means is we're connecting two thoughts when we see therefore in Scripture. And so the first thought that we're connecting is in the previous passage. Uh, You don't have to turn or go back there right now, but the previous passage is all about uh, heavenly treasure versus earthly treasure. And Jesus is, is talking about that, and he's calling us to devote ourselves to the greater treasure, the heavenly treasure, not the earthly treasure. And then he says, therefore, so first thought connecting to the second thought, the second thought is, do not be anxious about your life. And so here's why he connects these two thoughts, is because when we consume ourselves with some of the things that we see here, food, drink, clothing, these are all just earthly treasures, And Jesus is calling us to to devote ourselves to the the heavenly treasure, the kingdom treasure, the one that lasts. And so if we are anxious about all these treasures over here, then we're not investing into the greater treasure. And Jesus just said, your heart follows your treasure. It's a really big deal what we treasure. And anxiety treasures just earthly things. And so there's the context. And Jesus makes sure we know Do not be anxious because he says it three times. And the reason he says it is because there is a deep reality of anxiety that we're all going to find out today if we don't already know. And it's primarily two things. And it's that it's an unworthy devotion. And it's an unproductive devotion. And first you need to know anxiety is a devotion. You just think about anxiety. It's occupying your mind and your thoughts. You're busying your hands when you're anxious. You're fixating your heart on something. But here's the problem. It's not God. It's not godly things. No, it's earthly things. Sometimes it's, it's selfish things. Sometimes it's good things, but things that we've made ultimate things above God. Sometimes it's just 
ourselves, right? And so we're occupied in our minds, we're, we're busy with our hands, we're fixated with our hearts on other things that aren't godly, that aren't God himself. And so Jesus says it's an unworthy devotion. He says in verse 25, isn't your life more than these things? There's a better devotion. Jesus says anxiety is not it. Life is bigger than these things. What you eat, what you drink, what you wear, all the little things that we go through in a day, life is bigger than that. And Jesus is saying there's a greater devotion. Anxiety is an unworthy devotion. But how many times do we buy the lie that it is worthy, right? Otherwise, we wouldn't be anxious, right? There's something in us that thinks that this is, this is important. Like, I, I need to worry about this. I need to, to get alone and consume myself with this and consider all the worst-case scenarios and consider all the unknowns, and we think this is really, really important. One day, it's going to save lives, Right? We, we may not say that, we, we may not really even think that, but we act like that with worry and anxiety, don't we? we? We think it's a worthy devotion. We buy the lie that it's a worthy devotion. And Jesus is going to plead with you this morning, don't buy that lie. It's not worthy. Life is more than worrying about these things. So it's unworthy, but it's also unproductive. Verse 27, look at that verse. Jesus says, and which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? I, I just love the way Jesus asked this question. Can't you just picture it? Before a crowd, hey, hey, which one of you by worrying has added to your life? Anybody got that story? Raise a hand. <laughs> it's so logical. It's such in that moment that his audience, that our audience today and this morning would have to sit back and answer Jesus' question and be like, no one, Jesus. Dang it. You're right again. I know this worry hasn't added to my life. Well, then why do you do it? A guy named uh, Michel de Montaigne. Say that three times fast. A French philosopher, of course said this, my life has been filled with terrible misfortune, most of which never happened. How many of us share that story? How many of us have experienced that, are experiencing that now, that we go through a week worried about something someone said to us, something someone didn't say to us, something at work, something at school, something with the kids. And we go through that week and we're consumed about all the unknowns and what ifs and worst case scenarios and we, we worry and then what happens? We get to the end of it. We say, oh, it wasn't that big of a deal. I guess I, she didn't even know what she was saying when she said that to me. My boss doesn't even know I exist. Like, I shouldn't have worried about that project so much. We get to the end of it and we say, oh, it's not that big of a deal. And we think what? That's such a waste. We think what Jesus says. Worry doesn't add a single hour to your lifespan in quality or quantity. It's something even a French philosopher, Michel de Montaigne, can say amen to. We can all get this, but we still worry. 
And what Jesus is, is trying to get us to see is it doesn't work. And what we know today is not only does it not work, it works against us. There's all kinds of research on this, but anxiety has been linked to shrinking brain mass, lowering your IQ, heart disease, cancer, premature aging, marital problems, family dysfunction, and clinical depression. Those are some hefty things that worry uh, does to us, does to our body physically, but it also robs us of moments. Uh, those moments when you're at the dinner table with your spouse and you're supposed to be engaging with your full face, husbands, in a conversation about her day. But you're not thinking about her day. You're thinking about your day. And you're thinking about the unknowns in your week and your schedule and the things that are weighing you down. And as you're supposed to be engaging your wife with your full face, you're thinking about a lot of other things. And then halfway through that, she's like, you listening to anything I just said? It robs us of those moments. It robs us of those, of those moments when we're at the park with our kids and we're supposed to be playing with our kids and investing into them. But instead, what are we doing? We're over there on the phone and we're swiping down and swiping down in our email inbox, hoping it refreshes and dings. That's psychotic. Who does that? I mean, this, this is all hypothetical, right? We, we don't do this. I don't do this, right? No, I do it all the time. And so do you. And so Jesus is going to continue to make this point that, that worry doesn't work. It works against, that it's unworthy, that it's unproductive, that there's a greater devotion. And listen, he could have ended the sermon right there. I could end the sermon right there. That's a compelling case against worry, isn't it? Like, why give our time to this? Let's pray and go home. But Jesus, in his grace, he doesn't in there. He gets to the root of why we worry, and then he helps us not to worry. And so that's where we're going next, the root of anxiety. That's our second point, verses 26 through 30. Look at those verses. We see two illustrations, the birds and the flowers. He says, the birds have all the food they need. The flowers are beautifully clothed, more than King Solomon. And they didn't make any of that happen. I know, what does it say? Verse 26, your heavenly father feeds them. Verse 30, God clothes the grass of the field. Jesus is painting a picture of God as provider, but not only that, God is father. It says specifically, look at the verse again, your heavenly father feeds them. He could have said, the great judge of all time feeds them. The most sovereign ruler of the universe feeds them. He doesn't. He says your heavenly father feeds them. He, he's painting a picture of God as provider, of God as father, that he's wanting us to see that, hey, hey, God cares for his creatures. How much more do you think he cares for his kids? Right? He, he wanted them to see that. He wants you to see that. God is father. God is provider. You see, here's the root of anxiety. It's this, that, that we don't see God rightly and we don't trust him accordingly. The root of anxiety has a lot less to do with us, a lot less to do with our circumstances and a lot more to do with how we see God. The root of anxiety is, do we see God rightly and do we trust him accordingly? That when we're anxious, we lose faith, faith. That's why Jesus says in verse 30, oh, you of little faith. 
And you know this, right? When you're anxious, when you're wrapped up in worry, you lose faith that God is a loving father who provides for his kids. You start to, instead of trusting him according to who he is, you start to deny who he is, distort who he is, and you begin to trust yourself. And we begin to look at the conflict in our family, the loneliness in dating, the fear of failure in careers, and we say, looking at all that, God, do you see any of this? I mean, do you realize, God, what's at stake with all of these things? you realize how important this is? We say, God, look at all these things. I mean, have you forgotten about these things? Have you forgotten about me? We say, God, do you even, do you even care? And we don't see God rightly. And we don't trust him accordingly. And so we dive deep, headfirst into anxiety, into worry, into stress because of an inaccurate view of God, because of an incomplete response to God. And you need to know as we look at that, Satan uses this. This is not just, well, well, you know, Tim, I'm a skeptical person by nature. I mean, I believe in God. I know he's my savior. I believe the Bible. But I have a lot of bouts with doubt. You know, no, it's more than that. That may be true. You may be a skeptical person. You may have trouble giving everything over to God and trusting him. But, but Satan uses that. You see, here's what I know about us, especially in a place like Phoenix. We got a lot of churches and we look nice, right? You guys you look nice today. That, that we can know a lot of things about God. We could get a lot of answers right about God on a quiz, but we haven't fully surrendered everything over to him. Right? We haven't fully trusted God according to, to who he is as a loving father. We haven't fully given that family conflict, that financial difficulty, that health situation. We haven't fully surrendered it over to God. And you need to know that's exactly where Satan wants you to be. He wants you to know some cute things about God, be able to even recite some verses, come to church and look nice. But don't surrender everything over to God. I mean, don't see God as a, as a loving father. I mean, hang on to those doubts. I mean, that just keeps you edgy. How do I know this? James chapter one. James chapter one, the context is temptation and sin. James walks us, walks us through how temptation gives birth to sin. Sin leads to death. You know, James one, and then we come to something really interesting. Verse 16, it says this, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. And notice, it doesn't say, do not be deceived, my, my beloved brothers, like sin is not as fun as you think it's gonna be. I would have said that if I was James. I would have said, you know, here's temptation, here's sin, it's really bad, don't be deceived, it's not as fun as you, as you think it's gonna be. I would have said something like, you know, don't be deceived, you know, sin, temptation, all those things. There's going to be consequences in the end for you. Don't be deceived. But that's not what James says. What does he say? 
Do not be deceived. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, in whom there is no shifting shadow, no variation, no change. That in the context of temptation and sin, you know how Satan ultimately deceives us? It's not, hey, sin is going to be so, so fun, and there's not going to be any consequences. The, de- the ultimate deception by Satan, you don't have a good father. You don't have a good father who gives you every good and perfect gift. That if Satan can get you to that point, he's got everything else made, right? If he can get you to to be deceived and not see God rightly and not trust him accordingly, then, then you'll trust yourself. You'll trust your worry. You'll trust your sin over and above God. So it's not just that you're a skeptical person. It's not that you're just an edgy Christian who likes to relate to his non-believing friends. So you doubt a lot. Listen, I know we have moments of doubt, but if you're living in that place where you're going before God in every situation and you're saying, God, do you even care? Have you forgotten me? Do you really know what's best? Are you a loving father? If you're really in that place and you're not trusting God accordingly, that's a scary place to be. You need to leave that place. You need to draw near to the loving Father that is your God. The truth of Scripture that paints the real picture of God as provider and Father in your life. That God cares for creatures. How much more does he care for his kids? You need to cling to that truth. If you have people, listen, if you have people in your life who get around you when you're struggling and they say, you know what, where is your God? And you know, maybe God isn't real. Maybe these are just some pithy, trite truths that we just hang on to and we learned about in Sunday school, but they don't have any weight in this real situation. If you have friends like that, you need to get some new friends, amen? You need to find some godly people around you who point you to see God rightly, to trust him accordingly. That Satan, that your flesh wants to grab a hold of those doubts, that skepticism. And he wants to distort your view of God so that you'll trust your sin, worry, and yourself over and above God. Listen, I know there's lots of issues around anxiety. I know there's lots of factors. I'm not trying to minimize it. Jesus isn't either. But at the core of anxiety is an issue of trust. And so some of you, you you have experienced anxiety, you're experiencing it now, and the first question you need to ask is how do I see God? Do I see him as a loving father? Do I see him as someone I can trust? Do I see him as someone who cares for creatures, but he cares so much more for his kids? Do I see him that way? And am I trusting everything to him accordingly? Even the chaos, the stress, the busyness, that conflict, the financial difficulty, the health. Some of you, that's the first question you need to ask. You need to look to God. You need to look to scripture and be encouraged by who God actually is and trust him accordingly. That's the root of our anxiety. Let's look at replacing anxiety. Look at verse 31. Jesus says again for the third time, don't be anxious. He says for the Gentiles, those are unbelievers, they do this. 
Because it's an issue of trust. It's an, it's an issue of belief. We believe God is our heavenly father. And that's what he says. Your heavenly father knows that you need these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, here's the thing. We're going to have some things in life that make us anxious. Maybe even this morning, something popped up that you didn't know about, that you didn't expect, Maybe recently, in the past few months, you had a loss in your life. Maybe, as we get into the holidays, there's some stress, some anxiety popping up. You can't escape that. I think Jesus acknowledges that in verse 34, when he says, the day has its own trouble. Jesus says, in the world you may have trouble. He says, I've overcome it, but he acknowledges there will be trouble. There will be things that pop up that as much as you are seeing God rightly and trusting him fully, that pop up that make you anxious. And so the question is, how do we not have those moments? The question is, when we have those moments, how do we not sit there, wallow in that? How do we leave those moments and pursue God in our anxiety? And Jesus says, we replace it. We replace it. Verse 33, don't be anxious, but, what's the but? Seek first the kingdom. You see, you don't stop worrying by trying to stop worrying, right? It's like when my kids can't sleep at night and they come out uh, into the living room and they say, hey, hey, dad, I can't, I can't sleep. And what do we tell them? Go back in there and try harder, right? Which I don't know how you even do. Like, <sighs> I'm trying, trying to sleep. Does that work? Parents, does that work? No. What do they do? Come back out. 10 minutes later. Clockwork. They come back out, and what do they say again? Dad, I can't sleep. And we say, well, go back in there and try again. It's like parenting 101. It's just brilliant. Free advice for you this morning. We do it again. We say, go, go, go try again. But it doesn't work. You know what works? When my little kids come out and they're, they can't sleep is when I say, you know what, go get a glass of water for the fifth time. Turn on some music. You know what, you can turn on your, your lamp and you can read beside your bed. And sure enough, 30 minutes on a good night, an hour on a not so good night, eventually they fall asleep. It's amazing. God is good. Now, how did that happen? Did it happen by try harder to sleep? Or did it happen with, hey, why don't you replace that with something else? Why don't you replace that effort with a different effort? Why don't you replace that ambition with another ambition? It's the same way with anxiety. Jesus says, don't be anxious, don't be anxious, don't be anxious. But in his grace, he doesn't leave us there. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom. And so listen, Jesus isn't providing a way for you to be laissez-faire or carpe diem or just like not plan anything in life or not have a sensibility about yourself and just like, just don't worry, man. Like just play some 70s music and just put on a tie-dye shirt. Just chill out. No, Jesus is not calling for you to just chill. He's saying, no, take all the effort, all the thought, 
all the energy that you put towards worrying about these earthly things. Take all of that ambition, replace it with a greater ambition, the kingdom of God, my righteousness. Seek, pursue actively God in the midst of your anxiety. You have to replace it. You don't just say, oh, hey, stop worrying, stop worrying. What, what happens? You start worrying about your worry. That doesn't help. And so Jesus is showing us a way to replace the anxiety by seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then he says, and all these other things, they'll be added to you. They'll be added to you. You see, God wants to provide for you. You're his kids, remember? He's a heavenly father. He's a way better dad than I am. I want to provide for my kids. I want, to, I want to give them things. God's a way better dad than I am. He wants to give you things. He wants to add these things to you. He wants that. But more than that, he wants you to not trust the provision, but trust the provider. He wants you to not focus so much on the provision, the food, the clothing, what you're going to wear, what you're going to do, the 401k, the security, that conflict, your finances. He wants you to not focus so much on the provision, and he wants you to trust the provider. And so he says, seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, all these other things will be added unto you. Jesus is calling us to replace a lesser ambition with a greater one. Do you see that? That's the remedy for anxiety. And so what does that look like? Uh, you should be asking, what, what does this actually look like in my life? I'm going to give you three things. The first one is this, that you would create space. If we're going to replace anxiety, we have to create space. Uh, as we watch that video, that, that time lapse, everybody's so busy. And that's, listen, that's the story of our lives. That's the story of our day. You add in social media to that. Man, we're, we're always distracted. We're always grabbing something. We don't even know what to do with silence, right? Like even in this moment, if we're just dead silent, that's awkward for us. How, how awkward do you feel right now? <laughs> I feel awkward doing that. I mean, we need to create space in the midst of our anxiety. We don't know what we're worried about oftentimes, right? You ever been there? You're frantically going from one thing to the next and something in your soul is, is just not restful. Something's off. I, I had that this morning. I was walking around doing different things and I talked to somebody and did something else and grabbed this and then something, I came down here and I was like, something, I don't, I don't even know what just happened. I just feel a little weird. Something feels off. That happens all the time, Right? And so we need to step back, create space so we can see it clearly that when you're in the midst of a journey, it's hard to have perspective. When you're in the midst of the chaos, it's hard to have clarity. You need to create space. And so whatever that looks like for you, go for a walk, climb a mountain, do CrossFit. I, I don't understand that, but whatever, work out, whatever is your thing. I like to go to the lake, Lake Pleasant. Do you guys know we have a lake in Phoenix? It's amazing. I, I love water. I love it. We go to the ocean every summer. We go to San Diego. And I just, <laughs> I just get out there and I just lay down right when the water's kind of hitting you and coming over you. And it's so cold in California. And I just lay down and just let it wash over me. <laughs> right? And the kids are all jumping on me. But it's peaceful. 
Because I like water, and so I know that about myself, so I go to Lake Pleasant because I don't want to drive to San Diego every week. Can't do that. Uh, but I can go to Lake Pleasant, and I can sit beside some water, and I can gain some perspective. And I know it does that for me. All right, what is that for you? How can you create space? Maybe some of you are thinking, well, Tim, awkward silence, not good with that. I don't like space. I like to be busy. And if you're in that place, here's an idea for you. Go to one of those places and read Psalm 34. Write that down. Psalm, one, Psalm 34, rather. Psalm 34. Great one to meditate on in those quiet places. Here's just a few tidbits, a sneak preview before you go and read it. It says this, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. It says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Go to one of those quiet places and read Psalm 34. Get some perspective on your pain. Get some clarity in the midst of your chaos. Create space. When's the last time you did that? Do that this week. Second thing. Share your anxiety. Listen, this is key, not with everyone, but with someone, right? Uh, so don't leave out of here today and somebody's like, hey, how are you doing? And just like vomit everything that's going on in your life. And you're like, hey, what was your name? <laughs> hey, don't do that. And I'm not asking you to do that. And some of you are like, you get anxious about talking to other people and sharing this. Listen, find someone, not everyone, Find someone in your community group. If you're not in one of those, we're going to tell you more about those later. You need to be in one of those so you can share with someone. That's a safe place to do this. Hey, here's what's making me anxious right now. You need to share it with somebody because, listen, our tendency is not to do that, right? I mean, already some of us are thinking like, I'm not going to do that. Right? Our tendency is to do what? Suppress it, not express it. We, we want to push the anxiety down. So we take the finances and the, the kids and the 401k and the educational savings account and the career and the promotion and the conflict at home or with your spouse or the sin, and we just try to shove it all down. You know how exhausting that is? You can't do that for very long. Eventually it pops up. And it doesn't pop up gently. No, it explodes all at once. Right? You see, my fear for us is that we are in a place like Phoenix where we do look nice and, and we can go along and just go about our way and just have some surface level conversations that, that we never share anything with someone. And we just suppress it. We're like ducks, right? On the surface, everything looks peaceful. But under the water, we're just turning our little legs. We're so stressed out. But somebody's like, hey, how's it going? I'm good. <sighs> On the surface, everything looks calm, peaceful. But inside, in your soul, you are jacked up. You are stressed out of your mind. And you need to find somebody to share that with, to be encouraged by them. Because here's the reality. Here's what somebody else is going to do for you. Again, one of those good friends, a godly brother or sister in your life, not the friends that are going to increase your doubt or increase your anxiety, don't share with those people, right? Find a, a safe person that's going to help you in that moment. Here's what they're going to do for you is you have blind spots about your circumstances and situations, and they're going to help you see those blind spots. 
They're going to help you see truth in the midst of the lies that you are believing. They're going to help you see that as painful as this is, this situation, it's not pointless. No, because you're a child of God. He's your heavenly father. He's taken you somewhere even if you can't see it. You can't do all that by yourself. You need some people to share this with to encourage you. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to say right now, I don't know who that is, I'm not sure when I'm going to do it, but I'm willing to do that. It's the second thing we can do. The third thing, the ultimate thing, is we need to trust God, primarily through prayer. Philippians 4, 6 says this, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. That anxiety is talking to yourself, prayer is talking to God. And you think about anxiety, you're talking a lot. You're complaining a lot to yourself. Yourself, who doesn't know everything, doesn't care as much as God does, and doesn't have the power to fix your situation. You know what would be a more productive time is to talk to the one who knows everything, who knows better than you, who cares more than you ever could, and who actually has the power to intervene in your life. And so we, we trust God primarily through prayer. We don't suppress it, we express it. Philippians 4, 6, it says, let your requests be made known. Bring them up to God. He's a good father. He wants to listen to you in the midst of your anxiety. Martin Luther said this, I love it. He says, pray and let God worry. Listen, nowhere in the Bible Nowhere in the Bible does it call you to absorb your cares, to take all of your burdens upon yourself. No, what does the Bible say? It says, cast your cares, your anxiety upon who? God. Transfer the burden on God. You're not meant to walk with this. And so trust God primarily through prayer with your anxiety. And some of you, this, this scares you to death, right? I mean, to think about the financial difficulty, the relationships, the conflict at home, your security, the holidays, and you're thinking, I'm supposed to trust God with all that? I'm supposed to surrender that all before God? I mean, Tim, what if he takes some of it from me? I mean, that's scary to think about. Listen, there's another option here. You could just worry about it. But we've seen an experience, and in the Bible, it doesn't work. It's unworthy of our devotion. But there's a greater devotion to God, to trust him with all your stuff, with all your difficulty, that is worth it. How do we know it's worth it? How do we know that God really knows, cares, and has the power to do something, and we should submit our life to him? We know it because of Jesus, the one who is speaking this truth, displayed this truth before us. Listen, in the midst of your financial difficulty, your health situation, your family conflict, your sin and your worry and anxiety, Jesus went to the cross. That he died for all of those things. The unknowns, the worst case scenarios, Jesus died for that. So that you could worry try to get everything done on your own? No. 
No. He said, it is finished. He rose again to prove that truth. He wants to reconcile you to God, forgive you of your sin, your worry, take that away and give you peace. And listen, he doesn't just give us his peace. He gives us himself through the person and work of Jesus. How how can you trust him? Because he gave us Jesus. Because he wants you to experience not just some peace ambiguously. He wants you to experience peace intimately, personally with Jesus Christ. That's available to you this morning. Will you accept it? Will you step into that? Are you willing to do that? Whatever that may be. Let me pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this morning. I thank you for the truth of Jesus Christ, for the grace of Jesus Christ, that he not only speaks these things, but he lived these things. And we can trust you as we trust Jesus. God, I pray for these men and women. I pray that we would have a moment even now of silence, of reflection, of the things that are weighing us down. And God, we would give them to you. We would see just the the lies from Satan himself that would deceive us to think, I don't know that God loves me. I don't know that God's a father to me. I don't know if God's aware of this situation. I mean, maybe some other ones, but I don't know if he's aware of this one. God, we would, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would bind any thoughts of that in this moment. God, you would strip those away and you would replace those thoughts with thoughts of you and you're a good father and we would trust you and we would look to you and we would pray to you even now. God, help us to do that. Thank you for the cross of of Christ, for the resurrection that enables us to have power and victory over our anxiety. God, may we trust you and give ourselves completely to you in this moment. It's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen.